Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio with your host, Beth Green. This is James Maynard, your co-host. Today's topic, politics as a blood sport. Why is this happening? Today, hear a different take on our electoral madness. Like you, we have been watching the current electoral cycle with our mouths hanging open. But while we're shaking our heads in disbelief at the nastiness and the lack of substance on the Republican side, we may be missing the bigger story, which is that we, the people, are responsible for fueling the bullying in the debates. We dig it. We cheer. We jeer. We take sides. And we treat an election like a football game. And that's not just on the Republican side. Why are we doing this? What in our psyches is causing this cycle? And what in our current world situation is feeding it? What's missing in us and our leadership? And who will name it and speak the truth? Today, Christine Benton is interviewing our very own Beth Green, who has a lot to share on this topic. (laughs) So stay tuned, call in and join us for a sobering yet fun conversation about politics as a blood sport. We may get caught up in the game, but the consequences are deadly. And now, here's Beth. Or rather, Uh, here's Christine. Christine! Oh, yeah. yeah. Here's Christine. It's good to be here. I'm going to pretend to be energetic today, <laughs> um, but excited for this topic. One of the reasons I should tell people that we have um, Beth on is that, you know, we do these meetings about um, the radio show and we research potential guests and we evaluate who we'd like to be on the show. And, um, One of the things, though, that has come to our awareness, which is so obvious, I can't believe we didn't realize it sooner, is that one of the best uh, commentators on current events, um, uh, most insightful people, probably the most insightful I know that I've ever met, is Beth Green. So while we still love to have people on... Oh, I love that! (laughs) But you know... Yeah, it's true, though. It's like, uh, like, why didn't we think of that? Um, I agree. Yeah, right? I mean, she says things that um, that you just don't hear other people um, say, and it's because of her, her perspective and her consciousness, and uh, that's going to be another show today. I think people are going to be, hopefully, um, you know, surprised by some of the insights that come through, and we'll explain things to folks that are like, why, what, what's happening, and why is this happening? And I think Beth will have some really great things to share. One so, I can only hope after that introduction. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> better be good. Um, but first, we're going to have um, news of the inner revolution. So take it away, James. James, we got to hear you for you to take it away. Yeah, you can't do it on mute. <laughs> oh, take two. Okay. Today, we're bringing you a lot of positive news to counterbalance the topic of politics as a blood sport. So enjoy. The first item was sent to us by one of our listeners, Tracy. It's from usuncut.com, March 7th. Thousands of Boston students just walked out of class to save their schools. Thousands of Boston high school students have descended onto the Boston Common and the Massachusetts State House in an unprecedented citywide walkout. Students are demanding the city rescind a controversial property tax break to General Electric and cease all budget cuts. The Boston Public School District, BPS, students are calling out Mayor Marty Walsh for granting huge corporate tax giveaways while forcing schools to cut important curriculum and lay off faculty and staff. 
A recent city-approved property tax break for General Electric is to blame for $25 million that could have gone toward plugging BPS's budget gap. GE also receives an additional $151 million in city and state tax incentives. In return for all of this, for all of these tax breaks, GE is only directly employed, directly employing 600 people. Boston City Councilor Tito Jackson said the entire reason for GE choosing Boston's workforce is due to its excellent schools, which are being sacrificed for corporate handouts. Boston students self-organized the walkout, handing out a flyer at their schools, educating their fellow students about the budget cuts, and encouraging them to join the walkout. Beth, any comment? I love this story, don't you? I mean, it's like the kids have awakened and they're taking on accountability. You know, the inner revolution uh, is about oneness, accountability, and mutual support. And we're calling on everybody to start to see our oneness and how we really are one. And we are calling on everyone to see the impact of our behavior on ourselves and one another. And we're calling on everyone to start supporting the whole and have the whole support us. So that's what the basic concept of the inner revolution is. Well, these kids are making a little inner revolution themselves. They're not just sitting around groaning and moaning about what's going uh, wrong in the world. They're doing something, and I think that's very inspiring and very exciting. And that is a good sign about what is ahead of us. And I think the story about GE is hysterical. I think, James, you and I really need to start lobbying for tax breaks so that we will keep our very important operations in the state <laughs> where we live. What do you think? Absolutely. God, we could use a hundred, a hundred and fifty million dollar tax break. Oh my God, we don't have a hundred and fifty million dollars <laughs> <laughs> to break. Yeah, we, we're putting our uh, resources into education and consciousness. Yeah, we are. We're, we're actually paying to do that. We have to pay for fiber optic <laughs> to talk to you guys. And we didn't get any tax break for bringing oh, my in the fiber optic into the rural areas of Southern Oregon. No, we did not. Anyway, I'll shut up now. Continue, <laughs> please. I was just going to say you just need to employ someone at that ratio of employing 600. What's 600 to 150 million? Maybe right. you employ one person and you get like four million. You've got a job, Christine. <laughs> All right. Well, and uh, you know, well, James and I aren't employed either since we have no income out of this. That's <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> true. But we... <laughs> but I'm like so it. proud of those teenagers in Boston. I am proud of those teenagers. Let that yeah. be an inspiration to all you teenagers out there and the parents of teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, this next story also relates to education, but this time the positive actions are coming from educators. Imagine that. Imagine that. The story (laughs) gives us information about schools, which have been stepping up their efforts to stop the scapegoating of Muslims, and some civil rights groups are working with them. Here's an excerpt from the story reported by Associated Press, March the 5th. In response to a surge in reports of anti-Muslim bullying, students being called terrorists, having their head scars ripped off, and facing bias even from teachers, schools are expanding on efforts deployed in the past to help protect gays, racial minorities, and other marginalized groups. Where abuse is left unchecked, advocates warn, bullying and harassment can make students feel disconnected from school and hurt their academic performance. 
The Anti-Defamation League, which is an international Jewish organization, updated its anti-bias training activities after the Paris attacks to incorporate Islam. One lesson plan tailored for junior and senior high school students has them discuss ways in which Muslims and Syrian refugees are being scapegoated as a result of the attacks. Another encourages students to discuss connections between stereotypes about Muslim people and acts of bigotry, as well as ways they can support Muslims. Another forum used by civil rights organizations is a town hall meeting on the topic. A panel of a dozen students at a high school in Philadelphia spoke about their experiences of being harassed after the Paris attacks, including being accosted by adults in public and harassed over headscarves. Kate Sundin, a teacher who was there at that sharing, said, It was heartbreaking but important and really brave of them to share their experiences. Following a town hall meeting at Montgomery Blair High School in Silver Spring, Maryland, a petition drive gathered signatures from more than a third of the student body on a letter criticizing Governor Larry Hogan for saying the state would not welcome Syrian refugees. Beth, any comment? Christine? Well, I think that's a beautiful story, really. And, uh, I mean, I love seeing that the Anti-Defamation League uh, is doing that after those attacks because uh, Jewish people have been... Are under attack also and have been under more attack as there's been more attacks on Muslims. So, you know, rec- recognizing our oneness is an attack on one is an attack on all. And I, I love that story. And I also want to mention that we have a program called Unleashing the Power of Kids through fitness. Um, remind cooperation, me, uh, cooperation, service, and thought. thought. And we had a program not that long ago where we invited people from several of the surrounding Muslim communities. This group was meeting in San Diego and they had a fantastic time and uh, each person really identified themselves as a person. I am so-and-so and I am a person. And this, we're bringing this program into the San Diego school system uh, right now. We're working on that and it is so important to start reaching kids, not only the kids who need the empathy to understand what it feels like to be a a minority that's discriminated against, but also for the kids who are discriminated against, for them to feel like there's somebody in their corner. Otherwise, they can grow up and feel very alienated, and that's exactly what spawns this kind of, uh, you know, radicalism. That were radicalization that we're seeing. Christine, uh, you were there. Would you like to share something about that? Yeah, well, it was brilliant. It was really through Beth's guidance that we did the, uh, you know, I am a person. And the topic was called um, dealing with differences. And what we all discovered is that we all felt different in a way, and it didn't matter what religion or race, you know, we came from. And so, (laughs) ironically, we all had that in common. And we had many things in common, but it really offered people an opportunity to kind of see their um, their hidden biases. Yeah. Um, and not just the non-Muslim folks, some of the Muslim folks, too. Like, you know, so, um, and at the end, you know, everyone's like hugging everyone because we just felt so connected. It was fantastic. Yeah. Beautiful story. And thank you, Christine. Okay, James. And speaking about Islam, here's a story that's very exciting. It was submitted by Christine, our producer, and today's co-host. It's from QZ.com, and it's dated February the 14th. A woman-led 
a women-led mosque in Denmark is eager to challenge the patriarchy. Scandinavia's first women-led mosque has just opened its doors in Denmark. It hopes to challenge Islam's patriarchal structures. The mosque in Copenhagen will be open to both men and women. However, the imams in the mosque will all be women. A similar all-women-led mosque has been proposed in Bradford in the UK. Quote, having women as leading figures in Muslim communities and mosques should not be seen as something new or surprising, says Latifa Akeh, a committee member at the Inclusive Mosque Initiative. Instead, it should be seen as a rediscovery and elevation of strong Islamic traditions of gender justice and equality. The Inclusive Mosque Initiative, founded in London in 2012, emphasizes an intersectional approach to inclusion that seeks to involve all marginalized communities, including women. Ake points to Islamic feminist and reformist readings of Islam, which reveal how common Islamic laws have been influenced by subjective ideologies and cultural factors. Women have made crucial contributions to Islamic teachings going back 1400 years. Ake rejects the sexist interpretations of Islam that sideline women, sometimes even literally, in traditional mosque structures. Asma Bol, a female imam or imama, based in London, <laughs> wants to make mosques more inclusive for LGBT and disabled people, too. Since she started leading sermons and prayers, she says she's not only been able to inspire Muslims with her inclusive message, but other faith communities, too. Beth? Well, that's another great story, and I'm sure some of you heard we've done a we did a couple of interviews of Annie Zonefeld. In fact, I think the last one was uh, just at Christmas Eve or something, and she is the founder of Muslims for Progressive Values, and she is really standing up for women, gays, everybody, and inclusiveness in Islam. And she also claims that the true interpretation of Islam is inclusive and that it that Islam has been corrupted by the cultures in which that it's been where the patriarchy has definitely seeped in although there were some issues even back in the original Islam where there wasn't 100% equality but it certainly was different from what we're seeing today and so I really encourage you to go back and listen to those radio shows if you're interested and Ani Zodafeld and I think we it was uh, December 24th probably in 2015 yeah. yeah so this is a very important story there are other women led congregations for example in LA but they're only for women and what Ani is saying and what these women are saying is, why is it only for women? This is kind of like how Reformed Judaism came about, where it used to be that only men could be rabbis and cantors. And then the Reformed Jews started back in the end of the 19th century to really expand on what women could do. And ultimately, that even moved itself into the conservative branch of Judaism. So uh, it's very exciting to hear that. So thank you. Yes, and we have one more story. Here's an ironic story about reality hitting home around climate change. It's from the Huffington Post, March the 8th. Oklahoma sets new limits for oil and gas drillers to halt earthquakes. Companies may be forced to reduce production to comply. Oklahoma fish officials on Monday told oil and gas producers to dramatically scale back underground disposal of wastewater that has led to a dramatic surge in the number and intensity of earthquakes. Earthquakes in this industry-friendly state, recently linked to drillers' injection of wastewater deep underground, have risen from a few dozen 
annually in the mid-2000s to more than 6,000 last year. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency says Oklahoma's massive energy business can produce up to 2 billion gallons of wastewater a day. The new restrictions imposed by the Oklahoma Corporation Commission will require drillers to cut the amount of underground injected wastewater by 40% from the peak in 2014. The new guidelines cover a 5,000 square mile area. The New York Times notes the restrictions are technically recommendations that may force energy companies to produce less oil and gas. Beth? Well, <laughs> I just want to say one thing about this. Why, why are we saying that this is kind of an ironic story? You know Imhofe, or Imhofe, or I don't know how to pronounce his name. He is the Oklahoma senator. He has been like one of the Senate's chief climate change deniers. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma has been in the pocket of the fossil fuel industry mm-hmm. forever, right? And gee whiz, I guess people are beginning to wake up. I think maybe uh, we heard, for instance, yesterday, those of you who listened to the Democratic primary debate, uh, that there were mayors in Florida who are like saying, oh, my God, oh, my God, climate change. You know, the seas are rising. The seas are rising. And, uh, you know, this just reminds me of Chicken Little. The sky is falling. But it actually (laughs) is. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we have Marco Rubio. We've had Jeb Bush. Climate change? What climate change? You know? And uh, so and Trump too. He just says it's just weather. Oh yeah, but I'm talking about people from Florida, oh, you know, yeah, who are right. have been denied. <laughs> so um, absolutely. So uh, you know, when when the the rising waters are actually lapping at your eyeballs, I guess <laughs> you know. And when there's earthquakes in Oklahoma, I guess maybe we should start listening to the scientists. But hey, you know, who am I to say? That's it. All right. Um, and on that note, let's um, open up the, well, I, I don't know that we're going to take callers just this second, but I want to let people know that they can call in. I want to get some um, commentary from you, Beth, on a number of things. But um, James, would you use your magical voice to give out <laughs> the phone number? Uh- Yes, call us on your magical phone lines or without your magical phone lines uh, with a question or a comment at 866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay, so Beth, what is going on? I can tell you a few things that I see going through my Facebook feed. I just see people constantly in disbelief. Um. You know, they just can't believe it. I see people grasping, writing different articles and opinions and points of view of why, for instance, Donald Trump is in the lead with the most um, delegate counts, for instance, as of today. I think he has 458. Ted Cruz is at 359. Um, And Marco is at And Marco Rubio's 151. Yeah, so... Um, people keep trying to explain it, and it feels like they are grasping. So why don't, why don't you give us some insight here? Well, you know, people say that uh, people are angry about that they're not being listened to by government and that that's really the issue and that there is a real anger about uh, uh, establishment politics. Now, uh, some people say, well, it's the anger at the gridlock, and some, it's, it, you know, it's some kind of anger argument. 
But what are people really angry about, and is that anger legitimate? And, and you know, Bernie Sanders' people are angry. Hillary Clinton's people are angry. Everybody's angry. <laughs> Everybody's I'm angry. angry. <laughs> I'm angry. I'm angry on behalf of other people. You know, I have uh, three square meals a day, especially because James does the cooking. And, um, you know, I really don't have that much to complain about, uh, you know, we, we don't have any retirement savings, and we've already passed the point of retirement, but, you know, <laughs> I'm, we're, we're eating today, and, but I'm angry for everybody. And, um, but what it's, you know, what we're told usually that it's all those reasons that I just said, and then some people will say, well, the white working class is angry because wages have been declining, and uh, that's a reality, and that people are working harder, working longer hours, people are less secure. There is a lot of truth to all of that. But there's another element of this which I think is really kind of sick, and that is what we're being offered by these people who are trying to milk the anger, should I call it, you know, get the... The, uh, the benefit of everybody's anger is that they're promising something. And what is it that they're promising? They're saying, okay, it's okay to be angry because I am going to make America great again, right? Or uh, that's, of course, Donald Trump. And then you have Hillary Clinton who says, America is great, always has been great, always will be great, and we're just going to keep making it great, durr. And, uh, <laughs> you know, um, and B- Bernie Sanders is kind of saying, well, we would be great if it weren't for, the, for Wall Street. And um, m- my feeling is that what's really happening is that we are aware that there is a decline in our, in, in our power relationship to others. For example, men, many men are angry because women are coming up in the world and there's just no denying it. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're longing for the good old days when they had male privilege. They may not even realize that they're angry about it, but so many men are. Of course, men have paid a huge price for that male privilege. Like, oh, they also have the privilege of going and getting killed. In wars mm-hmm. and get you know and smashing their bodies and their brains out in football, but they're and having, having the, yeah all the pressure to earn income and yeah exactly exactly. But uh, and, and then uh, speaking as a man, I might say that I've had that pattern much of my adult life of uh, always enjoying being in the one-up position with the woman that I was in a relationship with. Yeah. So it was worth the other stuff that I had to go through because I had the ego gratification. You know, that's such an interesting point, James, because it really isn't worth it. Um, I used to be part of an organization called Wages for Housework, and we were promoting the idea that if women had wages for housework, that actually men would lose power in the home because we wouldn't have the, you know, barefoot and pregnant wife. By the way, we have a... Somebody's delivering a package, so you're going to. You may hear some doggies in the background. That that only proves that we're real people and we have real animals. So please, you know, forgive me if there's any noise there. Um, but but the truth is that those men were slaves of the factories because they had to work in order to have the money, so that because the women weren't making any money. 
And so the whole idea that men are actually benefiting by the powerlessness of women is not true. And then when the woman does go out to get a second job in addition to all the housework and the raising of the children and all of that, you know, women were very, very weak in the market. And um, because, you know, it was hard for women to organize because they were so busy taking care of their kids as well as doing their jobs. And because, you know, there isn't a lot of respect for, quote, women's work. But anyway, that gets us off into a real detail about it. But it's a very good example. And I'm glad, you know, James, you brought that up. Because uh, men who feel threatened by women making money are actually, all they're losing is their chains because they are actually freer when the woman in their lives has income. And it's the same thing if you go through a divorce and you have to pay alimony and child support and all of that. Wouldn't you rather pay alimony and child support if your uh, former partner was making money? Uh, You know, it's just kind of like obvious. So whether it's men with women, and it's the same thing with whites and blacks. You know, like whites had this uh, kind of assumption that they were going to be getting the jobs first. And whether we admit it or not, it's a fact. And by the way, I wanted to say something. I am still a victim of my own prejudice. Uh, The other day I called a lawyer's office and I discovered that it was a woman. At the minute that I was given the number of a lawyer, I assumed it was a man. Mm. You know, I just still have that association. I can be forgiven because I'm old. But anyway, uh, you know, because in those days, you didn't have women lawyers. So, or women doctors. Or, so anyway, the, whether you're a white with blacks or people with, you know, Anglos with Hispanics or whomever, Americans of the rest of the world, we have assumed that we are going to be in a privileged position. And that is going down. And so there's a lot of discomfort and a lot of anger and people want to get back to something which really wasn't that good to start with. And I could say, but I also see that we have some callers already. I we could do. say that um, the United States in, the, in, in connection to the rest of the world, we have just assumed that it's our time and we can run everything in the world. We can invade anybody we want. We can, you know, we're the strongest economy. We can grab, grab, grab. Like Donald Trump said, take, take, take from the rest of the world. We, we'll get rich, rich, rich. We'll all get richer, richer, richer. I mean, I thought, I thought, am I in insane asylum? You know, that the world has changed, see? That, I think, is the underlying issue is the world has changed because of all of these struggles, gays and straights or whatever, blacks and whites. And mm. so that the world has changed and there is this panic that we're all going down and we want to go back to this wonderful time that really didn't exist. That we felt, or at least thought we had power. It felt, exactly. That's what it sounds Ex- like to me, that we're, exactly. we feel like we're losing in the power relationship. Exactly. And what I'm saying is that we're looking at people like Trump. He's a bully and he's our bully. See, Oh, my goodness, I can identify with that bully, just like we can identify with the, you know, the, the mammoth football team that's going to kill the opposition. So we mm-hmm. identify with the bully, and that makes us feel better for 10 minutes that we're bullies, too. So we've won in the bully arena. Yeah. Well, let's go. We have a couple of callers I see already. Um, so let's answer some questions. First, we have Lizzie in San Diego. Hello. Hi, everybody. Sorry, I was trying to... Hi. On there. That's all right. Hi. We hear um, you. Welcome. I have a 
Thank you. Um, I have a comment. Um, listening to the perspective that Beth is sharing made me think, oh, my gosh, it sounds like, you know, when I hear politicians say make America great or something again, it sounds like a football coach. Mm-hmm. I, I've been, you know, around football players and, you know, it's like, it's like that talk. I, I never thought of it until you brought it up. It's like, oh, my gosh, it, that's what it brings up for me. It's like they do sound like coaches. Absolutely. And they and what we do is we identify with some team and we get to go, yeah. yay, kill mm-hmm. the other guy. And I, I'm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm baffled because I had I did not look at that in any way shape or form with that point of view and I'm just kind of shocked even at my own self it's like geez <laughs> you know because I've been caught up in it so it's I'm glad you pointed that out because I I was not aware of it well thank you Lizzie I appreciate that and we see that aggression and that hostility on all sides I saw something and I don't know if this is true but it was going around on Facebook that a woman who was um, advocating and used an advertising for um, for gun rights, um, saying that I should have the right to have a gun in my house to protect my children, mm-hmm. well, she was accidentally shot by her child. Oh, my God. And wow. um, Which is tragic, right? But people yeah. were like, yeah, see, like she deserved it. Oh, my and God. I yeah. know, right? So it's, uh, it's, it's. It's not limited to one party oh, no, not ideology or another. Yeah. Not at all. Okay, thanks. For all right, help. thanks. Thanks, Lizzie. We have next up, we have Helen from California. Hi, Helen. Hi. Hi. This may, this may sound like a stupid question, but since you see so clearly all the weaknesses of each candidate, how do you decide who to vote for? Well, <laughs> that's funny. Um, I, of course, I try to do what most people do in a situation like this. I try to find somebody who's closest to what I believe. Uh, and that's, and if there is nobody, then I don't vote. But, um, you know, I'm, you know, I'm supporting uh, in a very informal way Bernie Sanders. But I see his weaknesses. I see a lot of things that Bernie Sanders is not addressing. He's not confronting white racism in the working class. He's not standing up for a lot of the principles. It only it looks like he is, but he really isn't. For instance, I saw him on the debate yesterday. Really bothered me. He was asked about his position around Fidel Castro and the Sandinistas. And uh, he had said... Well, they are really promoting people, caring for one another, and not just fighting for themselves. And when the, he was asked about that statement, did he feel still for the seal, feel the same way? He said, no. I'm, well, he didn't say no. He said, uh, my real point was that the United States shouldn't be engaged in regime change. And I was opposed to the U.S. trying to overthrow the Castro government and the Nicaraguan government. Now, though, that is a very valid point, but he didn't address it. And he didn't say, yes, yes, yes. I may be disappointed about some of the ways that that revolution has worked out, but you know, a lot of that is because we isolated the Cubans, uh, we've impoverished them, we've had an embargo, you know, we haven't allowed them to flourish in any way, but the uh, intention of people supporting one another instead of just going for themselves is something that I still believe in. 
But he didn't want to say that because he didn't want to be attacked as a socialist or a communist. So I, you know, even he calls himself a democratic socialist, but he isn't really a socialist. He's really a social democrat. You know, he's, he believes in government, but he's not talking about... Uh, you know, some, you know, fundamental changes in the way that we relate to each other. But if I look at it, you know, I think, okay, do I, who do I prefer, Ted Cruz? And, you know, who's been the (laughs) most outspoken on climate change and so on and so on. And it's been Bernie. So I I know that, and what I believe we should do is we need to support our candidates by saying the things that they're not, uh, able to say that they're afraid to say and to help push them. Look, Bernie Sanders has moved Hillary Clinton to the left. We can move Bernie Sanders to the left. People think he's too much of a leftist. I, I don't agree with that. Uh, I think that sometimes his analysis is simplistic, but what I think he isn't doing is, again, is talking about the things that I'm talking about. It's like you can be a person who is suffering from bad water in Flint and you could still be beating your child. You know, we all have things about ourselves that need to be addressed. And our political political uh, candidates and leaders almost never talk about those things. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I appreciate the answer. Oh, oh good. I'm glad. <laughs> A good question. Yeah. Well, I, love what you, I love what you said about we need to say the things that they are afraid to say. We need to be saying them anyway. Exactly. I am, you know, we joke and say Beth Green is running for president, but of course I'm not. And I I don't care. You can love me. You can hate me. I wish that you would share our radio show and I wish you'd listen to it and I wish you would pass it on. And I wish that, you know, you could, whoever you are out there in the world, I really wish you'd do that. But I am not going to die if you don't do that. I'm not going to shut up because you don't like what I have to say. Mm-hmm. I don't care how many people I'm talking to. It's, I'd rather tell the truth than expand my listenership. That's Hallelujah. what we love about this show. Yeah. <laughs> Thank Good you. Girl. Thank and you, by, Helen. Yes, and I'd just like to interject. You're providing something that we're not hearing from our political leaders. You're confronting anybody and everybody who is uh, being driven by selfish or egoic kind of patterns. And uh, the politicians don't confront the voters. No. They, 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 instead, they find scapegoats like Wall Street or the Muslims or, what, or the Mexican right. immigrants. Instead of saying to the voters, where is your sense of uh, pulling together and supporting the common good, which for the highest good of all? And exactly, James. We, the, the politicians pander to the public rather than lead a deep conversation. I remember when Barack Obama started to talk about racism. Do you remember that? Years and years ago, uh, people were stopped and listened because it was so unusual to have a president or a candidate say anything with any depth whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) It was. I I do remember that. Yes. Well, we um, we have a couple more callers. So next up from Phoenix, Arizona, we have Tracy. Hi, Tracy. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, So my question is, well, I can relate to getting involved in watching the spectacle of it and kind of being shocked and appalled, but um, I also find myself just wanting to turn it off 
and not listen at all and just ignore it, which I know is not good or helpful, but it's just like every fiber in my being wants to just shut it off and shut it out. And so what, what like advice do you have for the average person who has that tendency to not want to engage with it because it is so negative and upsetting to even hear the things people are saying? Well, I will be very honest with you. I shut it off too. There are times when really there is no value. I don't listen to the Republican debates. They're not talking about anything. Now, I think it's what I do is I'll go, but I don't want to not find out what they're thinking. So I go into the uh, internet and I read up, okay, what are Ted Cruz's positions? What does he stand for? What does what on earth does uh, Donald Trump stand for? No, nobody will ever figure that out. Uh, but somebody who has a track record like Ted Cruz, you can find out how mm-hmm. anti-abortion he is. I mean, down to like, you know, the, women would be dead if it was up to him. Uh, and uh, you know, and how much of a climate denier he is, and how much he's not for regulating anything in the environment, just letting businesses take over and so on. Do your research, guys. Get the information that you need in order to have an intelligent conversation with somebody else. You know, when, when you have people like that who say, oh, and Barack Obama has done this and this and this, and it, it, it makes your stomach royal because uh, Barack Obama isn't that bad. Uh, you know, but look it up. Get the information. I recommend to everybody, be informed. But you don't have to listen to the mudslinging to be informed because most of the time you won't get any information anyway. Hmm. It's yeah, so true. Yeah. And thank you, Tracy. I had the same question. I was like, do I really have to follow everything or can I just read, you know, people's platforms and, you know, how they've voted on major issues? So I'm glad you asked that because I think otherwise one of the topics of today's show is, you know, being a spectator sport, a blood sport. Um, so if we're just kind of getting off of all the, you know, putting e- them putting each other down, then we can be honest and realize we're not really looking for information in that case. We we want to win or we want to feel like our team's winning or Or attacking. we want to see the Republicans kill each other. Or I we agree wanna, with yeah. you. You know, just like we said on, one, on our football show, just turn it off. Mm-hmm. You know, you... That the we are feeding the media frenzy over Donald Trump by reading every scurrilous attack on him or every ludicrous, stupid thing he says. We keep telling the media, yeah, 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 cover that. So we are that the spectators who are creating this uh, gladiator fight. Um, great. I want you, uh, if we have a chance later, maybe to just to, sit, to talk a moment about Mitt Romney, but I see we're just accumulating more and more callers here and I want to get to them. So let's do, um, let's have Amy in San Diego and thank you, Tracy, for calling in. Hi, everyone. Hi. Hi. I have probably a simplistic statement, but uh, as I'm listening to everything, particularly uh, your response to Tracy, actually to everyone, but to become um, uh, what's sort of educated, because I yeah. tend to just pull away from everything and vilify Donald Trump, and I realize that that's not all that different, that different from how he vilifies the folks that he does. Yeah. And good so point. I'm not actually adding anything to what's going on, and I look at Bernie Sanders as the good guy and not really know exactly what he stands for either. <laughs> Uh-huh. Although I know more about him because I've yeah. read more about it, but um, 
I'm seeing that I'm turning it into simplistic us versus them. Yeah, I love that uh, statement, Amy. I think it's extremely important what you've just said. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what we do. And I congratulations that you're just, you know, calling yourself on it. Yeah. True, right. true. Yeah, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very much. This is a wonderful conversation. Thank you. And in fact, let me answer the, the Mitt Romney uh, question right now before, because I see we have a lot more callers. Uh, the issue is that Mitt Romney did exactly what the spectator sport thing wants, right? <laughs> oh, Mitt Romney comes in and he's setting the record straight. He's telling everybody what a jerk Donald Trump is. It's of like course, another wrestler came into the arena. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. With a different persona. But what yeah. I think is so amusing about Mitt Romney is, you know, R- Mitt Romney, he had Bain Corporation that put so many people out of work, see, but he's going to call Donald Trump on being a fraud and a con man, but he's not calling himself on it. But what he represents, I think, is the ridiculous idea that the uh, big shots in the Republican Party can really just swoop in put everybody down and steal this nomination. Mm-hmm. I think of him as a patrician. You know, like he comes in with his nose in the air. He, there, are, there are many factions in the Republican Party. You have mm-hmm. the very wealthy elites that Mitt Romney represents. He's not going to be in the gutter talking about Muslims and blacks and Hispanics because he's not fighting for a $10 an hour job. Mm-hmm. And he loves all of this uh, free trade where they can make as much money as they want. So Mitt Romney isn't going to be incited by the Donald Trump anger, but he is representing a part of the Republican Party. Then you have that white working class part of the Republican Party that is angry and wants the good old days, um, you know, where we were powerful and strong before. And then there is then there is this evangelical element in the uh, Republican Party that is extremely doctrinaire and uh, in a very narrow sense that, you know, which is out of step with everybody else. And so it's to me, Mitt Romney was just a way of coming in and saying to the Republican voters, you are bad. You working class people are angry. You're stupid. Look at this guy. He's stupid. You should let me run the country because I and the elites that I represent we are polite, and we know to have to have <laughs> debate. So anyway, well, isn't he also afraid though? When you talk about that loss of power, like they're losing control of the party. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So Sorry. I'm making that brief because I see we have a whole bunch more callers, and that's good. So how about um, Chris calling from Encino, California, in the LA area? Hi, thanks so much for taking my call. Yeah. Hi, Chris. Hey, I'm just thinking that we need a potluck revolution. <laughs> oh, yes! <laughs> I mean, nothing makes any sense except to, like, really have an environment where people bring what they have to offer and, you know, people don't think so much about holding on to what they have to protect themselves but think more about how we can all move ourselves forward. You yes. know, I mean, I yes, don't even have yes. any questions for you about any of these candidates or anything. Like, I just feel, I just wish we could erase it all with a big eraser and start over. I don't know what else to say. I love that. I, I think that is what the revolution is about. I mean, I think that Bernie is right. We need a revolution. We need a political revolution. We need a social revolution. We need an economic revolution, mm-hmm. which is what, you know, changing the nature of the economy 
But most underneath it all, we need a spiritual revolution. We need an inner revolution. We need to really get it that we share this earth, that we are one. And what we're doing isn't even working for us anymore. You know, there was a time when you could go way overseas, like, oh, yeah, the Spanish Empire. They sent their boats, the Spanish Armada, over to the New World. You know, they killed off the native peoples, either through disease or bloodshed, and, and, or they enslaved them, and that killed them. And, uh, but none of that was going to come home. See, but nowadays, you can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. You can't just go do anything you want somewhere else because, as Malcolm X once said, the chickens will come home to roost. It's a different world, America. Wake up. You know, we can't get away with that. So we need to recognize our oneness. We are ruining our planet. You know, uh, we're being stupid. We're not being accountable. Our own people are suffering from a spiritual disease. I, I don't even know how to describe it of, you know, people's emptiness inside or we wouldn't be using so much sex, TV, rock and roll and drugs, mm-hmm. you know. And, um, you know, we're all running away from this feeling of oppression and powerlessness. And that oppression and fa- powerlessness are actually real. But just getting angry and blowing up some other poor schnook is not the answer. So thank you for your comment, Chris. I'm with you. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. Um, next up, we have Lynn from California. Hi, Lynn. Hi, everybody. Hi, Lynn. Um, my question is, how do you resist getting down in the mud with everybody? Ooh. You know, I, I follow... <laughs> I follow Facebook, and it's the first, you know, election period that I have been on Facebook. And, of course, there's lots of mudslinging from both sides on it. And um, occasionally I'll dip my foot in the mud and then, you know, retract it forcefully because I see how, um, how hopeless it is to change other people's minds or to even get them to listen to you. Yes. So, yeah, how do you resist, you know, how do you resist the violence in you? Oh, I Mm. wish I had an answer to that. Sometimes I don't. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes I find myself just gloating when I see these Republican candidates uh, trashing each other. But what really wakes me up from that kind of stupor is when I remember that none of them is talking about climate change. And I remember that there are people, real people, who are being hurt and who are going to be hurt, and that none of that is being discussed. And when you see them talking about each one more and more adamant about immigration, I mean, there's 11 million people in the United States. I mean, there's no common sense in what's being said, but there is also no compassion. Just think about the real people who are being hurt, and that kind of wakes me up. It doesn't mean that I don't want to address the issues, but it makes me want to address the issues. This is not a game that we're winning or losing. It doesn't matter if our team wins, if our team stinks mm-hmm. and is, is hurting people. And I, I feel that to remember that the stakes are, you know, incredible suffering, 
when you see the suffering that people are going through because there's lead in the water, the, 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 the suffering of people and animals because we've dumped, to- dumped toxins uh, in, on our planet. It's just when you get acquainted with the reality, it's not a game anymore and there's no pleasure in the blood sport. That's all I can tell you. No, I appreciate it. I, I, I believe that I can now look at it from a different perspective. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, good. That's why I went and I started looking at what are the platforms, the proposals, and mm. the positions of these candidates. And, uh, you, know, I, uh, you know, I have to admit that I would prefer uh, Hillary to Donald Trump, but Hillary just woke up to the Keystone Pipeline, you know, and she's always just kind of half-measured it. Uh, and I just say, well, I don't know. You know, it's not about, oh, yeah, she's going to win. She's going to win. Yeah, but do I support that? So it's painful. Yeah. It's, it's painful. It's Thank a good answer, so though, that there's that antidote to the mudslinging and getting involved yourself by just kind of going back to the issues and staying informed and educated. So yeah. I think that's great. It's um, reality. Have, yeah. We have... Um, we have one more caller. We just have a, a few minutes here. So um, let's hear from Irene in San Diego. Thank you. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is that with all this attention to, is it going to be Trump or Hillary or so forth, we get the belief that this one person is going to make all the difference and can change the world. And they have to be a person who has never made a mistake and yeah. has never uh, had second thoughts about anything. And there's no discussion of what are the qualities you need in the President of the United States yeah. who is going to be uh, an administrator of an enormous organization. And I, I'd like you to address that. What do you think are the qualities we need and the person that is taking on that unbelievable job? Oh, what a great question. Let me think. Well, the first thing that comes to me is honesty. Is someone who will really be honest with themselves and with the American people and with the world. I mean, when Obama started to kind of sound uh, somewhat apologetic for some of our ghastly foreign policy, people were totally flipping out. Mm-hmm. It's like, we should apologize mm-hmm. for our totally. foreign policy. Uh, you know, it's like, we need to address our collective racism. We need to address our sexism. Our, we need to address all of our prejudices and uh, short-sightedness. So honesty and self-honesty are not valued whatsoever in the political debate. But they are what we need in a leader. The second thing we need, which I would say that Obama did actually represent, is thoughtfulness. I mean, mm-hmm. you at least got the impression that the guy thought. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you? I mean, that he yeah. was trying to figure it out. I didn't agree with a lot of things that Obama did. But I always felt that he was actually trying to figure out what should he do. Mm-hmm. And... That is staggeringly, staggeringly missing uh, 
mm-hmm. from the presidential debate because everybody's into the win and they're going to give yeah. people what they want to hear. And they don't want to hear thought. They want to hear one-liners. Uh, they don't want to hear honesty. They want to hear reassurances that I'm going to give you what you want, whether it's good for you or not, whether it's even possible or not. Uh, there is it's certainly thought. And I would say this is connected to honesty, but isn't quite. It's integrity. It means somebody who's willing to take the punches for doing the right thing. That's what we need. And it's, it, it, those things aren't even being uh, looked at. I, I mean, the media is definitely part of the circus because, you know, they, they want sensational stories. It's like a big reality TV show. You know, they want sensational stories, and so that's what we're getting is sensational stories. And um, I'd like to add one more quality. Yeah. A, a sense of caring about people, really oh, caring yes. about people at all levels of society, like Franklin Roosevelt did or Abraham Lincoln, you know. Instead of uh, getting so caught up in ideology, you sacrifice people and uh, they, they go through more pain. How true. Mm-hmm. Good. It was a great question and observation. Thank you, Irene. Um, Beth, do you want to make any, um, any closing statement before James talks about next week? I, I know I want to say thank you. Um, I think we made a great decision to have you on today speaking. Um, just really insightful um, observations. And again, the things that I took away are like when we get into that negative energy, um, it's the same negative energy that the other side has, you know, that we kind of just need to step away and inform ourselves and, and be educated and, and trying to support others to do the same. Uh, wonderful, Christine. I guess the only thing that I would say is that if I told you how I feel, I, I'd be crying right now. Mm. Um, the amount of needless pain on this planet is staggering. Mm-hmm. Whether it's human, animals, the forests, the fish, I mean, the plastic in the ocean, the, uh, the orangutans who are losing their you know, habitat, it's the amount of needless pain is staggering. And here we are at this critical juncture in history, and we're having... Uh, a gladiator fight in the Colosseum for the entertainment of the electorate. And this will just distract us from the real issues. And I I find that very painful. And I beg everyone to think about what I've said and see if there isn't some way that we can all change. That was beautifully said. Thank you. Thank you. Um, James, do you want to talk about next week? Yes, thank you. Uh, Next week, uh, we're on the topic of, do we have to choose between compassion and common sense? Hell no. Meet Jakati Imani, who demonstrates the opposite. In California, the state spends $7,500 to educate a student and more than $200,000 to imprison a child. We're spending people's tax dollars to harm children, says Jakata Imani, who launched the movement to cut the incarceration rate by 50% nationwide is reforming our criminal justice system, our criminal injustice system, compassion or common sense? What about other areas of social reform? Aren't compassion and common sense the same? Jakarta has personal experience of the devastating impact of the war on drugs on his own hometown, Oakland, and he's done something about it. 
He has also fought for green jobs and led campaigns to pass progressive legislation, yet he has kept his compassion. In fact, now he is heading IGNITE, a program dedicated to training and supporting spiritually rooted activists. This guy knows what he's talking about. He can bring us information and a profound understanding of what people need to make real change. We don't have to choose between compassion and common sense. Join us and now offer a final word. Well, what I'd like to say about that is, oh, that's so boring. How does that <laughs> compare to hearing Marco Rubio casting aspersions on Donald Trump's genitals? I mean, why would I waste my time listening to this radio show when I could be entertaining myself by watching the Republican gladiators kill each other? So I'm hoping that we have an audience for this show because this is a critical issue. So many people who are into repressive, negative, and regressive politics try to pretend that those of us who want to actually do something to help people uh, have no common sense. Like, we have our heads up in the skies. Well, our heads may be in the skies, but their heads are up there. You know what? And I say, <laughs> let's get together. Let's listen to this guy. Let's think about this issue. Let's get going on doing something to help. Right on. Thank you, Christine. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Beth and James. We'll, yeah, we'll see you, you next week. You did a great job as usual. <laughs> Thanks. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and James Maynard. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And don't forget Inner Revolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Think outside the box and join us.